This is Summit Week. At the beginning of every semester, for years and years and years, Indiana Wesleyan has set aside a few days to sharpen our focus on the Lord. Today, obviously, this morning during chapel, Summit begins every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. At 7 o'clock, we'll be right back here for Summit services. Schedules have changed a bit. Um, the women and men both play basketball this week. Their games are at 5, so they can be done in time to get here to Summit. Tomorrow morning at 11, we'll have a service. It won't be in this space. We'll be in the pack, and uh, we're going to be having a good time with the Lord. Our speaker is uh, Pastor Matt Leroy. He's been used by God lots of places around the country to, on college campuses to make a difference. God, he's God's servant, and I'm looking forward to how God uses him. I'm not really big on giving all the, he graduated from here and he did this and he did that. I'm just thankful that he's here today to intersect with our lives and God will use him. Let me tell you just for a moment why Summit's important to me. And I don't know if I can do it even. It was 50 years ago, Spring Summit. I was a student at Indiana Wesleyan, Marion College back in those days, and I was sitting in a spot about halfway back on the right-hand side, and I'd been running from God. I knew I wanted to be what he wanted me to be, but I didn't know if I could be what he wanted me to be, and I had wrestled with that all of my life. I was 19 years old, almost 20. And the speaker that night asked the question, are you willing to be what God wants? And they gave the invitation and the altar filled with students. And I stood in my spot, rooted because I refused to go. I had told God so often I was willing only to prove myself not. And then they kept singing 500 verses of whatever invitation that song it was. And I don't remember making the decision, but I found myself in the aisle and I came down and the speaker was leaning against the pulpit and there was one spot at the altar right in front of him and I knelt there and he came down to pray with me and it was as if we had a divine appointment. I think we did. He asked a question that changed my life. The first one he asked was, are you willing to be what God wants? And I said, I have no idea. I've told God that 100 times, 200 times, 500 times in my life only to prove myself unwilling. And then he says, are you willing to be made willing to be what God wants? Are you willing to be made willing? I could answer yes to that. I asked God to make me willing, something happened in my life and I can trace my spiritual journey of making a decision and climbing upward with Christ back to that moment in the spring semester of 1970, 50 years ago. It's still meaningful to me and I've been praying that some of you have that moment this week that God does something in your life. Would you lean in and listen as Matt Leroy brings us the word? Matt, God bless you. Thank you, John. Praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing that. Amen. Good morning, Indiana Wesleyan University. Are you willing to be what God is asking you to be and what God wants to make you into. What a powerful challenge. And if you can't answer that question yet, then are you willing to be made willing? If that's you and you feel the Holy Spirit 
moving in your heart at any time and you need to respond to that, then you listen to that voice, all right? And you do whatever you need to do, no matter what else is going on around you. If you need to come down here and pray in the middle of whatever else is happening, then you do that. If you need to get up and go talk to your RA or your hall chaplain or whoever else, or John or whoever, then you do that, okay? We're open. Our hands are open to how the Holy Spirit wants to move. We're expecting the Holy Spirit to move. Jesus has been lifted up here this morning in a powerful way. And we're full of anticipation in what he's going to do in our time together. Thank you, John, for sharing that story. And thank you for the way that you pastor this community and shepherd this community. We honor your leadership in that. And uh, let's thank John for the way that he leads and loves. And I realized that we are, uh, John and I are wearing the exact same sweater, only different colors today. <laughs> and I feel really good about that right now. All right. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so my name is Matt and I have the honor of being a co-pastor of a church that was planted, planted 10 years ago uh, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Anybody from North Carolina here today? Yes, all over here. Okay, awesome. Yes, my people. Okay. Um, and so uh, I am a pastor of a church there in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. The name of the church is Love Chapel Hill. Our name is our mission to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. And we're located right there in the downtown section of our community where the University of North Carolina uh, meets with the downtown section there. And uh, we meet in this old movie theater called the Varsity Theater. And our congregation is made up of about 30 to 40% uh, college students from the University of North Carolina. So I feel very much at home with you today. And uh, a lot of young families, young professionals, academics, artists, activists, and then about 10 to 15% of our congregation is made up of men and women who are experiencing homelessness. And uh, we're really moved by what they bring to our congregation and what they are teaching us about what it looks like to walk in a life, abundant life with Jesus. One of the things that we say consistently is we do not have a college ministry or a homeless ministry. We have a church family where every person has a place to belong and to serve and to lead with their spirit-inspired gifts for advancing the kingdom. I'm going to be sharing some more uh, lessons that I've learned um, through pastoring that church and being a part of that church family as we go uh, throughout the week. But the, the most important thing uh, besides being a follower of Jesus for me is that I am married to Sarah, who is a proud graduate of Indiana Wesleyan. And uh, let's give it up for Sarah. And um, Sarah was a nursing major here. Any nursing majors today? All right. You guys are amazing. All right. We love you. Okay. Great. Uh, and Sarah and I are the proud parents of twin sons. They are eight-year-old boys, Luke and Sam. Thank you. That was nice of you for the awe. Thank you. This is the obligatory uh, chapel speaker picture of children. Okay. So uh, 
These are my boys, all right? Luke and Sam, yes, they are named after uh, the biblical figures, okay? But maybe because their dad is both a Lord of the Rings nerd and a Star Wars nerd, maybe <laughs> Samwise the Brave and Luke Skywalker, all right? So I love to get down on my knee in front of these boys, look them in the eye and say, Sam, I'm your dad and I'm proud of you and I love you. And Luke, I am your father. <laughs> and I'm proud of you and I love you. And come, let's rule the galaxy together. Okay. <laughs> Sarah is like, please stop doing that. Okay. All right. But I love these boys. Uh, I love the conversations that I get to have with them. Uh, not too long ago, my son Luke asked me, he said, Dad, uh, did they have cars when you were a kid? It's like, you're grounded, first of all, okay? Um, but they do have, they have the best questions. And uh, one night I was uh, with them in their bedroom. We were getting ready for bed. The light was off, trying to get them to calm down. And a lot of times they'll ask me questions in that moment to try to prolong the bedtime, right? Uh, but my son Sam asked me this question that just struck me. It just still sticks with me. As we're laying there, light is off, trying to get them to rest, trying to get them go, to go to sleep. And Sam asks me this question. He says, Dad, how do I grow? How do I grow? He wants to be a basketball player, all right? So I think that's what that was about. But it just struck me. And in that moment when it's bedtime and I'm trying to get them to sleep and this important question, how do I grow? How do I answer that question in that moment? And it just hit me that I'm like, Sam, at this moment, the most important thing for you to do is just to rest. How do you grow right now? You just rest. There are things that are happening beneath the surface that you can't feel, that you can't see, that you have no sense of in this moment. But the most important thing for you right now in this moment for you to grow is for you to rest and to trust that process of growth that is happening beneath the surface. That's part of my prayer for us this week. As we're going to be in John chapter 15 through the mornings together, as Jesus answers this question for his disciples of what it looks like to grow, part of that means to rest and to trust in the process of what is happening beneath the surface. It's not about us striving. It's not about us straining. It's not about us getting ourselves hyped up into some kind of fast growth moment, but instead it is resting. It is abiding in the vine so that the gardener can cultivate in us lasting and abundant fruit. That's what we're praying for together this week. Jesus, as we dive into your word, as we, as we unpack this image together over these next several days, this simple yet profound image of the vine, we just say to you from the very beginning that we trust you. We trust this process of discipleship that you are leading us into. We trust the work that you are doing. Holy Spirit, we are open to the work that you are doing in us. Cultivate growth in us. Free us from this anxiety of striving and straining. 
and instead root us in the true vine, in the abiding life that brings about abundant fruit for a hungry world to taste. That's what we're asking. We trust you in it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The passage that we're going to be studying together and moving through slowly together is in John chapter uh, 15. And so um, a a little bit of context before we move into the passage is this, that this is happening on Jesus' last night with his disciples. And so Jesus is here on this last night with his disciples. It's this portion in John's gospel where John takes five chapters to lay out this last night that Jesus has with his disciples. And so chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all dedicated to these last moments that Jesus has with them. And if you have one of those red letter versions of the Bible, then you'll see that through these five chapters, like your, your Bible is just like bleeding on these pages, all right? The words of Jesus just stacked on top of each other. The majority of the space here dedicated to the words of Jesus. And so John, this intimate friend of Jesus it's like he's wringing out his memory of every last drop of Jesus from this last night it's referred to as Jesus's farewell discourse and so in this space we see Jesus washing his disciples feet in this humble act it says he showed them the full extent of his love by washing their feet. He washed the disciples' feet. He predicts the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter. And so that lets us know that they're in the room. Judas is there. Peter is there. And he's washing the feet of the people who are going to deny him and betray him. This premeditated, preemptive love of Jesus. Through this passage, through this section of Scripture, Jesus is comforting his disciples. He's promising the Holy Spirit. And so it's this beautiful farewell discourse. And right here in the middle of this, in chapter 15, Jesus gives them this powerful image of what it looks like to live in him, of what growth looks like in him. Right here in the middle of these last words, these last teachings that he has for them. And it's this image of the true Vine. Here's what he has to say, chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be made even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. I'm going to go just one verse more here and say, Jesus says this, Remain in me and I will remain in you. Or in some uh, translations, abide in me and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. This is where we're going to be through our time together uh, in the mornings and in the evenings we're going to look like we're going to look at what it looks like for that fruit to to be lived out in the real world in our everyday lives this is a powerful image that Jesus gives to his disciples I am the true vine 
I am the true vine. It's powerful on, on many levels. For one, uh, it's a, this agrarian image that would have made sense to them. It would have clicked for them immediately because it's something that they would have been familiar with. They would have grown up around this image. They would have been around this image on a daily basis. And so it's something that Jesus takes out of everyday life for them. And it's this accessible image for them in that agrarian culture but it's also powerful because of those words I am I am and so Jesus is is borrowing this statement from from their Old Testament knowledge from their Old Testament memory from their scriptural memory as a people and they remember that God reveals himself to them as a people through Moses with this holy name with this divine name of I am and so seven times throughout the Gospel of John, John is a brilliant writer, my favorite writer of all time, with all due respect to Harper Lee and to Wendell Berry and to whoever else, okay? Um, but John is this brilliant writer, and the way that he layers this in seven, seven different times through this Gospel, he gives us these I am statements of Jesus, this divine name of I am that we can never get our minds around, the true identity and the fullness of who Jesus is, and yet in his grace and mercy, he takes these everyday metaphors, the, these, these words that we can see, borrowing these images from everyday life to show us who he is. So he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the seventh, this fullness kind of picture of who he is, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. So again, it's an image that's familiar from their everyday lives. It's also familiar from their history because all the way throughout scripture, the people of Israel are referred to as God's vine. They're referred to as God's vine. That's a sense of their identity of who they are as a people. They would have remembered this from the Psalms, from Ezekiel, from Hosea, from Jeremiah, from the prophet Isaiah. However, it also would have been a painful image for them. Because as they remember throughout the Old Testament, as repeatedly they're referred to as God's vine, they would also remember that when the prophets use this image, it begins as this positive, hopeful image, but it takes a negative turn. And every time it's used throughout the Old Testament, it ends up taking this negative turn. And it ends up pointing out Israel's failure to bear good fruit. Perhaps the most powerful example of this is in Isaiah chapter 5. And this prophetic poem that Isaiah writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says this, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. But then he looked for the crop of good fruit, of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. This was their history as a people. So the vine had become for them this image of failure, this image of disobedience, of rebellion, of exile. But now Jesus, in his grace and in his mercy, turns that image and redeems that image. And he says, I am the true vine. In the Old Testament, you were, you were referred to as the vine. But now I'm telling you, I am 
the true vine. And in every place where you failed, I will be faithful. In every place where you failed, I will be faithful. In this room right here, we have incredibly bright people. All of you are. You're bright, you're intelligent, you're talented. There's so much potential in this room. And I'm sure you get told that all of the time. And that's true about you. But I know another thing is true about you as well. There's a sense of anxiety that hums just beneath the surface for you. And as you hear time and time again about your potential and how gifted you are and how talented you are and how bright your future is, there's also this weight of anxiety where you hear those questions in your own head, in your own heart, in your own soul. Am I really good enough? Am I going to get the job that I need to get? Am I going to get the grades that I need to get? Am I going to get the promotion? Am I going to get that spot on the team that I'm striving for? Am I going to get the in internship am I going to get that relationship that I'm striving for am I actually good enough and you have these voices that just keep repeatedly speaking to you about your failure and they tell you that's who you are and yet there is another voice it's often not as loud as those other voices but it's more strong and in its gentleness there is strength and it is telling you, I am the true vine. And in every place where you have failed, I will be faithful. This is the hope that we have in Jesus. It's not a call to strive and to strain, but to rest in who he is and to abide in him. This is the invitation, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit pierces your heart with that truth and with that hope today and throughout the rest of the week that we have together. So Jesus takes this image that had become one about disobedience and rebellion and exile, and instead he makes it one of hope. And he's doing that for every one of us today as well. In every place where we fail to do it on our own, Jesus has accomplished it for us. So we have this next beautiful image too. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener, and I, I love this image. And in this image of God as the gardener, we actually get this, this sense of this picture of God that spans the entire scripture narrative of who he is. And immediately when we think of him in terms and in this image of the gardener, we think of the Garden of Eden, of God as the creator who planted us and rooted us there in the garden and who cultivated this relationship between us and him and this relationship with each other. And we think about this image of the promised land, this land that God gives to his people. And part of the mark of that promised land is this, is this hope that it was going to be a place of fruitful abundance. And we think about the image of the, of the garden at the resurrection where Jesus is laid in this garden tomb, it says. And then on the day of his resurrection, the first person to encounter him is Mary Magdalene. And when she sees him, she mistakes him for someone and she thinks he is who? The gardener. 
Isn't that beautiful? She was right, right? She's right there, so, so close. This beautiful image. And, and from there, she's the first one to witness the resurrection. And she goes on to be the first person to preach the resurrection of Jesus. And she preaches the resurrection of Jesus in the hope that Jesus is alive to an audience of none other than the founding apostles of the church. So beautiful. And then we get the completion of this image in Revelation. The city of God restored, made whole, relationship with God made whole. And yet within this city and surrounding this city, this imagery of a garden, of these trees lining the, the, the river there with, with, with fruit for every season. Powerful. So we get this sweeping image of God as the gardener. It gives us this sense that this is a gardener who will not give up. He was the gardener in the beginning. He, was, he will be the gardener in the end. He will not give up on us. He is relentless in his love for us. And even though time after time we're yielding this bad fruit, he's saying, I am planting among you my own son, to be the true vine, to bring our wild and rebellious branches into alignment with him, to cut back and, and to prune what needs to be cut back and pruned so that we can abide with him, so that we can draw life from him, so that we can bear the kind of fruit that is consistent with the character of the vine. This is the hope, this sweeping picture of God's faithfulness from beginning to end. He will not give up on you. He will not abandon you. He was there in the garden at the beginning. He has seen the root problem of human sin. He was in the garden of Eden when humanity was, was tempted and failed, and he was in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was feeling that burden and that weight of that moment, and in that moment Jesus prevails for us on our behalf he was in the garden on good friday when they laid jesus in that tomb he was in the garden when jesus is resurrected on easter sunday he is all the way through the picture the same gardener that we saw taking such care in isaiah chapter 5 to cultivate to plant is going to be with us all the way through he will see it all the way to it's in. in our time together, we're going to learn what it means to live in the vine, to be cultivated by the gardener, to abide, to rest, to bear good fruit, and fruit that will last. A very interesting point here about the vine and the gardener and the power of this image is that this is an image that is intentionally pointing to permanence. This is an image of long distance, of the long haul. A person who plants a vineyard is in it for the long haul. Experts in winemaking. Uh, any wine connoisseurs here this morning? Just kidding, I almost got you on that. <laughs> Y'all need another chapel speaker for tonight, I'm sorry. Sorry, John, my bad. All right. But people who are experts in winemaking, no one in this room, but people who are experts in winemaking will tell you that when, when you plant a vineyard, it is this long-term commitment because for the first three or four seasons of harvest, the fruit that you are getting from those vines, the fruit that you're getting from that vineyard is not quality enough fruit to be used to make the kind of wine that you want to make. 
And so when you plant a vineyard, you understand that you are in this for season after season after season. It is an image of permanence. It is an image of the long road and moving in the same direction on this long road. That is what the gardener is doing in your life. He is not asking for flash fruit out of your life. He's not just asking for quick growth. A lot of times when we get together in a week like this, that's what we come and and we're expecting that. And I'm not praying against that. And I know the Holy Spirit is going to do that in many of your lives. For many of you, you will point back to this week as a turning point moment where the Holy Spirit did something different in you. A transition and transformation moment for you in your life. And I'm praying for that. And I know we're going to see that. But I'm also praying that it will sink into you that what he wants from you is not just fast and quick fruit, but what he wants for you is fruit that will last season after season after season. A life that is rooted in him, learning to abide in him so that he can cultivate the kind of fruit that will last, the kind of fruit that a hungry world is dying to see in us. He has not given up on you. He is in this for the long haul. And we are open to what he's going to cultivate in us this week. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to seal our time this morning in prayer. For some of you, you may want to respond this morning by coming forward to pray or maybe even where you are sitting You want to respond with open hands. Maybe you want to even physically do this. Open your hands up. And say, Lord, I am surrendering myself from moment one of this week to the kind of growth that you want to cultivate in me. Lord, I know that you are in this for the long haul. And so am I. Wherever this road leads me, I will go with you. Whatever you ask of me, I will say yes. An all-consuming yes, defining my life. Whatever branches you need to cut out or cut back, I say yes. Whatever seeds you are wanting to plant in my life, I say yes. Whatever fruit you have envisioned for me, I say yes. Be open to that this week. Yes, there will be moments of quick growth. But I sense very deeply that what he wants to do in many of you is to teach you what it means to abide. Not just hustle not just strive, not just strain, but to abide. If you are open to that this week, then simply respond to him whatever way he's leading you to respond. A life of abiding and the fruit that comes from it. Amen.